Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. We've got a fantastic discussion today with Business in the Community and ASDA, uh, which touches on some really important issues about opening up access to work and bringing people through in a big business like ASDA. Hopefully we can pick up some uh, some tips from there, but also the work that Business in the Community have been doing. So I'll look forward to talking to Nicola Ng and Hayley Tatum in just a few minutes. Meanwhile, uh, at the REC, a really uh, busy couple of months, not just on the campaign side, where we're catching up with a, a second set of entirely new ministers uh, after the uh, the uh, appointment of Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister, uh, but also looking at what is still an uncertain economy and thinking about some of the big issues that are facing uh, recruiters as we go into 2023. A few points to uh, to raise with you on that. Do look out for our labour market tracker available on the morning of the 4th of November. That's the latest data on job adverts and how the uh, market is performing across the UK. So you can check in on how your market's doing there. Big political date for the diary, of course, is the 17th of November, which is the uh, the autumn statement, which has replaced both the, the mini budget of September from Quasi Quarteng and uh, the, the planned medium term financial statement uh, that was due on the 31st of October is the big statement of fiscal and uh, policy from uh, the new government. And Jeremy Hunt will be giving that then. We'll be looking at that and analysing it for you for all the impacts on the recruitment sector. And also later in November or possibly in early December, we'll be publishing our annual recruitment industry status report, which is our view of uh, the shape of the industry as we come through 2021 and into 2022. We have to wait until everyone's closed their books on the year before we can gather that data. Uh, Do look out for publication on that. But if you would like to look at that, the shape of the market and where we're going going into 2023, do also join us on the Talking Recruitment webinar, which is on the 8th of December. And you can book onto that at rec.uk.com. Looking forward to the REC Awards on the 24th of November, our last big member event of the year, and then uh, clearly doing lots of work through the last couple of months of the year to get us uh, positioned for a flying start to 2023. As always, if you've got any feedback from for the REC or anything you want to raise with us, just get in touch with me or with your account manager directly. But now let's turn to today's discussion. So let's turn to our discussion for today and our guests. And I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Nicola Ng, who's the Employment and Skills Director of BITC, and Haley Tatum, uh, who's Senior Vice President, Chief People and Corporate Affairs Officer at ASDA. Um, and uh, well, firstly, welcome both of you to the podcast. Nicola, why don't you kick off by just uh, giving listeners a bit of an introduction to uh, BITC and the work that BITC does? Thanks, Neil. Um, So Business in the Community, we are a membership organisation dedicated to responsible business. Uh, We were set up 40 years ago. We were set up in 1982 with our royal founding patron as His Majesty King Charles. And we work and we campaign with over 600 business members focused 
entirely on growing their responsible business practices to to make sure ultimately that we are having the greatest possible social and environmental impact through the work of our membership. Um, the work I lead at Business in the Community is focused on employment and skills. And in, in focusing on that area, our, our priorities are really making sure that our members are taking action to engage in education, taking action to open their doors to more diverse talent and, and invest and build the talent that they have within their workplaces to make sure that everybody, irrespective of where they've come from, their background, their life experience, has access to the best opportunities they can access throughout education and, and employment. And Haley, of course, everyone knows ASDA, uh, but tell us a little bit about your role at ASDA and maybe how you came to uh, have some engagement with BITC before we launch into, into the topic for today. Thank you for the invitation to come and speak. Everyone, as you just mentioned, uh, knows ASDA. My, my role in ASDA is Chief People and Corporate Affairs Officer. So I'm employed at board level to respond for the 145,000 colleagues working across the UK serving customers and also have corporate affairs as part of my remit. So working closely with government, NGOs, uh, really responding to social issues really on behalf of the business and making sure from a reputation point of view, the ASDA brand and the purpose of the business is, is set in context and is relevant for today's uh, consumers. I've been involved with the BITC for quite some time and have had the pleasure of both chairing and sitting as a member of various task forces. And within the, the business, within the ASDA business, we bring on board a lot of the employment skills activities that Nicola's been just talking about, particularly um, the Open Doors campaign most recently. So we see a lot of the work that the BITC is doing is essential for the ASDA brand. You know, I think really important to remember the scale of a business like Asda. I was always struck by one of the supermarket chief executives in my CBI days. And Haley, you and I worked together in those days on a, on a number of things, saying it's you know it's great that the the cabinet goes and has meetings at a high technology manufacturing firm once every six months, but you know the vast numbers of people work in supermarkets, and and that's absolutely true. So in a in a labour market like the one we have at the moment, uh, businesses like Asda are uh, right at the forefront of thinking about how you attract and retain talent. So Nicola, I wanted to start really with that question about what you're seeing across the piece on how businesses can uh, make some progress on attracting and retaining talent in what is, you know, our data continues to show a remarkably tight labour market, even with the economy slowing a bit from the fast-paced growth of earlier in the year? Well, the first thing I'd say is that when we look across business and the community membership, we we our members come from almost every sector that there is in the UK. And this has been an issue that's hit all of them in some form or another. So I can, I can hardly think of a conversation I've had over recent months where this hasn't become rapidly a, a boardroom priority. Um, and I think that has, I mean, that has been music to my ears in, in many respects because we've been campaigning for many years at business in the community to to urge our members to recruit more inclusively to think more broadly when they think about what diverse talent or what talent and indeed what diverse talent actually looks like for them um, but in response to some of the challenges that we were hearing from our members uh, at the beginning of of well at the end of 2021 I should say really 
we developed a campaign called Opening Doors, which was intended to help them to to give them a, a some guideposts, I suppose, to help them understand sort of what actions businesses could be taking to 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 access or to reach and connect with and and bring on board talent from uh, a wider pool of diverse groups. Really, um, the Opening Doors campaign is is relatively simple in its inception. It is it's based around five principles. There are a lot of very detailed actions that we ask businesses to take within that but the principles are relatively simple so there's a strong focus our principle one is around partnerships and and this has been key to the work we've done for years and and will be won't be news to most of your members either in that in order for businesses to reach out and connect with diverse talent talent from more disadvantaged groups they have to work through other organizations that have access and and, and good levels of engagement with those groups so, so that's absolutely key but also demonstrating employers' commitment to recruiting in, from, a, from a diverse pool is, is vital. And we've done a lot of work over the years with job seekers facing an array of different barriers and, and coming from a wide range of different groups. And they've always been clear when they talk to us around if they can't see themselves working for that business, if they don't see themselves reflected in the in the in the in the images on the website if they don't see people that look like them when they go to assessment days then then they have less confidence that they're going to have a positive experience within that business so demonstrating that that businesses are looking for that talent is a really key part of then attracting and bringing that talent in especially in a tight labor market as we see today um our third principle is is around looking at the language and the content of job descriptions and job adverts and and Haley will know this well because we've been We've been um, banging the drum around this for many, many years, initially with a focus on young people. But but these days with a much wider recognition that actually this is important for such a broad range of groups. The ability to really understand what a role actually involves and, and what the recruitment process involves is really important in building that confidence from applicants to want to actually go for that position. And, and there's, I think we've still got more ground to cover there. Uh, principle four is about recruiting for skills and capabilities over qualifications and and I'd love to dive into that in a bit more detail because I think that is an area where again we've we've seen some good practice but we've still got a long way to go and I think some emerging uh, understanding amongst employers about some of the practices that are potentially putting up barriers uh, for particular groups within that um, and then finally the, our final principle principle five is around prioritizing accessibility and eliminating bias and again you know we've we've seen a huge movement on this over the years that we've been around as an organization but we can't take our foot off the gas in terms of actually weeding out those practices that exclude different groups and and all of this will help employers to to connect with and bring in that talent that they're looking for in a in a labor market like the one we have today i think that's really insightful and it immediately puts me in mind of um some discussions we were having we had our uh one of the big recruitment agency trade shows uh in october in birmingham and one of the things i was doing there in the rec presentation was talking a bit about well where do you know recruitment agencies create value in this market and this concept that value in a business is created not by the the mere production of the product but actually by the value that you add to the products that you know recruiters listening to this need to be thinking about how all five of those themes run through the work they're doing with clients and how frankly especially if you're working with clients that are not as uh 
big and developed in their people thinking as a business like Asda is how how the sector can really deliver on some of these opening uh, doors uh, goals on behalf of maybe some of the medium sized businesses that they're they're supporting who are struggling in the same way as every business is with um uh, with accessing talent right now um let me just dive a little bit before we go over to Haley on this dive a little bit further into having the skills needed for the future and you've already said uh, hiring for skills not qualification and that immediately made my ears pick up and thinking about well um, as businesses how do we think about what the skills are we need how do we refresh those kind of skills frameworks and how do we look for them and it seemed to me that you were hinting that uh the BITC framework is beginning to help companies think about that. Is that right, Nicola? Yes, and, and uh, I mean this is an it's a really interesting area here because there is there is a there's a trap essentially around skills where if you look at what happens in education, uh, many of the young people from more disadvantaged backgrounds have fewer opportunities to develop the skills that that ultimately employers are going to be looking for and and that plays out then in terms of the the types of jobs they go into at the beginning of their careers and then their ability to progress throughout their careers so there is a piece where this has to start with education and and I think a lot there's a lot employers can do in education to build some of the skills they're looking for but then there is a really important element around recruitment as well and and recognizing that there is there is only so much that can be demonstrated by the the provision of formal qualifications and, and academic attainment. And that actually, if employers are only looking for those indicators as 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 um, as a way of demonstrating a, a candidate's ability to do the role, they're they're overlooking a, a potentially a huge talent pool that they could be accessing. And in terms of frameworks, I mean, we at business in the community, we don't have a framework ourselves around skills, but we have been working very closely with a number of other organizations to explore how the the skills builder universal framework which is a framework for essential transferable skills it's 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 owned by the skills builder partnership but it's being used by hundreds of organizations across the UK and we've been doing some interesting work over recent years with our members to to explore whether that framework can provide almost a common language for some of these essential transferable skills you know communication teamwork, leadership, problem solving that we know are in demand across every sector of of business, um, but actually are being sought in so using so many different uh, different approaches, using very different language that actually it's quite a bewildering uh, marketplace, I suppose, for, for people who are sort of trying to demonstrate the skills they have and, and recognize which jobs they, they can apply for. So um, there's a there's some interesting stuff, I think, around how can we use how can we all get behind a common language for some of these skills but the other point I'd make on this is that the vast majority of the future workforce are already in work and so the other the other bit that's of real concern to us is as well as making recruitment more accessible on the basis of skills and, and capabilities is also increasing the level of investment from employers in the skills of their current workforce and really making sure that is landing with those individuals who may have you know a lower skilled background they may have come from a through a different and more challenging experience in the education system um, and we know that most investment from employers in skills is still targeted at those who have a higher level of education already so we, that's another piece that we really want to crack to then help sort of employers access more diverse talent and retain them and progress them within their organizations 
That's such an important point. And I remember kind of discussions over the years with businesses around the country and the idea that skills policy can't be a guilt-free whinge for businesses, I think is right at the heart of kind of the, the impetus that BITC have given that you've given your work, but it's also um, a big part of kind of owning many of the solutions and kind of the REC's recent overcoming shortages work is really clear that 60% of the solutions to this sit with businesses, not with government, even though we might want government to make some changes in the skill system to help us. Um, but part of that is also getting you know, increasing amounts of C-suite attention onto people issues. And Haley, that's where I wanted to come to you and, uh, and the program that you're putting in place putting in place at ASDA. Um, so we've heard from Nicola a bit of the the work that BITC are supporting around opening doors and other themes. If you bring that home to us from an ASDA perspective, what are the things that you're doing to address kind of labour shortages, uh, shortage challenges, but also kind of linked to this question about how you throw the doors appropriately wide enough? So, um, yeah, what are we doing in ASDA? Really... I'd say that we are looking at our websites, making sure that they are accessible, making sure that the imagery is welcoming for all different types of um, individuals so that they can see individuals perhaps like themselves. We tell stories, importantly. We use existing colleagues to explain their backgrounds, to explain how they've joined the business and their career path since they've been with us. And quite often, um, and Nicola mentioned it, it's about finding someone that sounds or looks like you, that perhaps enables people to see themselves in an organisation. So we use we use existing colleagues a lot. What was very powerful, actually, during the pandemic was we hired, as many other businesses did that were on the front line, hired a lot of individuals at high speed, many individuals who were perhaps furloughed at that time and looking for alternative employment, people who perhaps had never thought about joining an organisation like ASDA before. Um, And those colleagues came and joined us. And and interestingly, what we were trying to do at that time, how we were trying to keep food supply, you know, flowing really to the vulnerable. So we we use our purpose. We've gone again, actually, with that to make sure that in all of our materials, we've got it really clear about what ASDA's here to do and therefore making it clear what uh, what the jobs are that we have and why they are here to serve other people. And we find if you can you know, really break it down and make it clear and tell stories of individuals um, so that people are talking to other people rather than an organisation trying to broadcast, we open our doors wide open, to use your phrase, Neil, uh, much broader than we've done before. We've also done quite a bit of testing, sort of in a mystery shopper kind of style, just as we would, you know, test the service in our stores. We've also tested what it's like to apply um, apply for roles in our organisation. We specifically did some work over this last summer with uh, a group of black 18 to 26-year-old men going into our website, applying for roles, and, and really just mapping and following their experience every step of the way of that application selection process so that we could identify areas that had any form of bias built in by accident and intentionally, but it was there. We were able to use the insight that we learned from that mystery shopping experience 
to really understand where we could improve the experience for all um, individuals applying for roles. Things like um, terminology that perhaps we used. Sometimes that's, you know, internal retail terminology that we hadn't realised was was perhaps excluding certain individuals in the population. So it's been really fascinating and really um, powerful in helping us just meticulously and forensically go through every aspect of the application process to make sure it is as inclusive and welcoming as we can make it. So two questions in response to that. One I'm interested in how you overcome any defensiveness in the business about asking those kinds of questions and being open to uh, some real, uh, some challenging feedback. And then the second one is, of course, there are bits of your business where you are working with partners. You might be working with a staffing firm around the edges of a, a logistics operation, for instance. How are you having conversations with your supply chain about these things as well? Yes, to get to the second question first, yes, we are. So all of our colleagues who join our business, however they join us, whether that's permanently into Asda or some sort of fixed term or agency labour, we do expect every colleague to be given the same chance and the same experience, however they happen to join us. So we absolutely speak with all of our partners and ensure that the learnings that we've got and the expectations we set, that we, we set the same standard with anyone that's partnering with us. And to your, your other point around defensive, I think if as the culture within the organisation is really important on all aspects of your business, this being one, around not being frightened about the things that possibly we've got wrong, but being very um, open to learn to put things right. Sometimes this is an area where people can get defensive or unsure, this is uncharted territory, and they feel concerned about getting things wrong. And I think you have to create the environment and really pay attention um, and spend time on this, making it okay to ask questions that might feel uncomfortable to ask. Am I using the right terminology? Have I um, addressed somebody with the right um, in the right way? And sometimes there is so much concern particularly around um, diversity and inclusion and equality, that even very experienced leaders get themselves tongue-tied and concerned. And so creating that psychological safety to allow the questions to be asked in a way that doesn't give you that challenging or defensive response so that we're all learning together to make this right, make this better and to get a more diverse workforce and the benefits that that brings. I think that's a really powerful point. And I think for, for people in agency recruitment listening to this, there, there's a message there both sides, which is, you know, how do you develop that psychologically safe space in working with your clients to have those difficult discussions? But also the signal that you've sent there, Haley, about um, pushing this expectation through partners that are working with you both of those feel to me like they're very relevant and a lot of uh, firms in the sector now talk to me about this and they have they have kind of two pushes one is my clients are asking me this stuff so we're working for asda and they're asking how uh, what we can do but the other piece is how can i have the confidence to challenge a client back on some of their expectations certainly some of the work we want to do at the rec next year is about 
supporting that really strong added value conversation that that recruiters can have with clients who are maybe less far down the path than uh, than a business like Asda is. Um, but what we're seeing here is a a, a really practical um, under the bonnet attempt to clear any of the kind of unlooked for things that are in the system and build people's confidence to to be willing to challenge uh, ways things have been done for a long time, which of course is um, boosted by the fact that the labour market is so tight. There's a there's always been a clear ethical case for it. There's a much clearer commercial case for it as well now, although I would argue the commercial case has always been uh, reasonably clear. Um, Nicola, as we sort of start to bring this together, what are the sort of actions or approaches you're seeing from the businesses BITC are working with that, you know, where you can see some changes in inclusive recruitment practice that are being accelerated by the state of the labour market right now? Well, there's a few areas I'd single out and and I could probably talk about this for hours, but I'll I'll keep it brief. Um, One of them and I think to hate the point Haley just made in terms of that sort of almost that 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 stronger kind of commitment from from leaders and confidence to to be able to look at some of the stuff is is around employment of people with criminal convictions. And I've been in this space for for a while and w- was very much part of the launch of our Ban the Box campaign, which launched in 2013, so nearly a decade ago, and asked employers to remove the criminal records tick box from job application forms to to make it easier to assess candidates with convictions on merit first and when I think about the conversations we were having with employers a decade ago around employing people with convictions we were in such a different space the space we're in today and not all of that is because of the tightness of the labour market but that's definitely uh, something that is propelling employers to consider this but then on the other side of it I think what's building their confidence to look at this is actually some of the visible leadership that we've seen from other employers who've already trodden that that path and so I think there's something to the point you just made Neil around sort of the role of recruiters almost in uh, in having those conversations with employers actually there's there's there are so many great examples out there and, and we've got lots of them at business in the community that can really help build that confidence that a lot of this isn't uncharted territory but but we do need to make more employers walk that path and so I think there's a piece there around I think just generally we've seen bolder and more openness um bolder action and more openness to employing people with convictions that's that's one element the other bit I'd say is coming back to the conversation around skills-based recruitment I think we're seeing some innovation uh, around this space that we haven't yet sort of haven't seen that coalescing uniformly around one or more one or two particular areas but we're seeing a proliferation of individualized approaches where businesses are really stripping back their recruitment practices to 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 the basics which is essentially what what we're asking them to do is to revisit what you've been doing for however long and really ask yourself at every single point do I need to ask that question do we need to make that candidate go through that process is that the right process to get the candidates we need and and we've seen some encouraging um and brave action I think on that one and and just one one example that really springs to mind I think is when you look at someone like the body shop and their open hiring uh, recruitment practices which they've stripped that right back to just the very basic criteria that they need for someone to do the job and then all of the rest is sort of comes second so I think I think there's there's lots we can learn from on that and then I think the final point I'd make um, 
which is a sort of again it's a broader trend but I think we've seen a much stronger acceleration in the last 12 months is around a greater awareness of of uh, the barriers that might be faced by people who are neurodiverse or, or neurodivergent um, and this is an area where if we think about the the DNI agenda that sort of what, what where we've seen some movement from employers I think that there's a few areas where we've seen movement but this is probably the one that's come up the up the agenda the fastest and, and is hugely welcome in terms of disrupting some of the status quo in terms of existing recruitment pra- or traditional recruitment practices so I'm I'm excited to see where we go with that as well and, w- and whether we can then take some of the learning from the change that will be happening and apply that to to the benefit of other groups as well that's fascinating and I think a lot of that sort of, sort of almost sets the exam questions for you know agency and permanent recruitment suppliers to businesses which is you know how do you build up the ability to have those discussions about challenging the way things are done and and do that with confidence as a uh, as a sector um i would absolutely agree on the uh, criminal record point and the rc has long been a, a supporter of the ban the box campaign um but you know, if you look at neurodiversity, you look at disability employment rates, of course, as well in the UK are uh, very low. And some of that is about not questioning how jobs can be done. So there's a lot there that is real added value for companies to to draw talent in where uh, perhaps in the past uh, the big, tough questions haven't been asked. Um I suppose just to finish off, Haley, I was going to ask you about what's next to ASDA because you've given us a, a really clear sense of uh, of what the business has done so far. As you look out into what is likely to be a pretty tight decade in the British labour market with uh, the kind of demographic changes we're seeing, the kind of relatively low level, lower level of mobility, um, for you at ASDA, um, what is the next sort of three years look like in terms of how you take this work that you've been doing forward thinking about three years when uh, even even thinking ahead for three weeks is quite challenging at the moment with the amount of change around us all but um really thinking for us as a customer-led business is about following our customers and how they are choosing to shop and live their lives really so for us it's about ensuring digital inclusion in how we think about bringing new colleagues into our business because a lot of the way customers are choosing to shop involves technology and of course lots of the efficiencies that we're looking at in our own business involve technology so making sure that we've got ways of thinking about bringing in individuals who can interact interact already with technology or have the attitude and scope that we can work with them to help them understand how to serve customers in a digital environment. But also so much of life these days requires you to have digital currency. We know that by um, doing so and investing in digital skills, that we're helping our colleagues not only serve our customers better, but also think about how they um, interact more openly in their own lives, whether that's banking or dealing with their children's schools, which tends to be more and more online. So there's a lot more from that perspective. And I think a whole attitude really about reskilling the workforce. We've got a lot of colleagues already that work for us, spanning over five generations from an age group point of view. 
And it's important as a responsible employer, as our business changes, as society changes, we continue to review the skills um, that are going to be needed in the future and build that, those skill plans within our current workforce so that we're keeping our current workforce reskilled and relevant and current to the, to the situation we all find ourselves moving in and towards. So it's a reskilling agenda and a digital agenda for the next few years. And that's not a surprise if you look at the trends in in, in retail and the, the uh, and the way things are things are moving. I think that point about digital inclusion is incredibly important, uh, not just from a, a, a keeping people involved in the labour force as they, as Nicola was saying earlier, most of the people who'll be in the labour force in twenty years' time are already in the labour force, but also from the point about view of social and economic inclusion, which is incredibly important, and you know it's one of the areas where supermarkets like ASDA do fantastic uh, work as kind of large scale employers. Um, Nicola, we've talked a lot uh, to uh, today about some of the work that BITC are doing. If people want to find out a bit more about a program like Open Doors and the other work that BITC are doing, uh, where should they be looking? Thanks, Neil. So, I mean, our website, absolutely first port of call. It's bitc.org.uk. If anybody is interested in finding out more about Opening Doors, particularly how it can provide a framework for some of those conversations with employers, um, that's very, very clearly on our website. It's bitc.org.uk slash opening doors. And connected to that as well is our Ban the Box campaign and, and some of the stories as well that, that would be great to surface and, and use to bring about more change. So um, very happy to be contacted directly, but I think website, great first port of call. Fantastic. And thank you for joining us today, today Nicola. That's been a really interesting discussion. And likewise, thanks, Haley for giving us some practical examples from the fantastic work that you're doing at ASDA. Well, thanks to Nicola and to Haley for a fantastic discussion there. And do follow up with those links at BITC if you'd like to know more about the work they're doing and what you can do in your business. If you've been inspired by this, a couple of other recent episodes might be of interest. There's a great episode, episode 17, with my long-term collaborator, Adiefe, on equality, diversity and inclusion. And our last episode with Vanessa Rath on candidate sourcing, you know, one of the reasons for getting involved uh, more than ever with thinking about how we do things differently, boosting our inclusion is also the fact that we are working in a world of a labour shortage. And Vanessa offers us some really interesting insights into candidate sourcing on that episode. But for now, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Do dig into those others on the back catalogue. And I'll look forward to joining you again with another episode of Talking Recruitment the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.